Hey everyone, welcome to episode 22 of the BASAC View. You may be wondering whose voice you're hearing today. I'm Amber Stewart and I am the Executive Director here at BASAC. We're very excited to share today's guest with you guys. I was first introduced to her by a video that was sent to me from a friend that knew her daughter. And from the minute I watched the video, I knew that we had to have her on our podcast to share her story. She has such an important message to share about her daughter and her experience. And we're very excited that we were finally able to coordinate and lock things down and and get her on with us. Before I introduce her, I first want to let our listeners know that on today's episode, we will be talking about victims of human trafficking, sexual assault, physical abuse. If at any time while you're listening and you feel overwhelmed, please feel free to reach out to our agency at 306-445-0055 or our crisis line at 306-446-4444. So today's topic is human trafficking and the impacts it has on not only the victims, but their families. About a year ago, like I said, someone shared this video with me and it just touched me in such a way. And I found her message just as a mother so important. uh, And so we started working on getting her on our podcast. So without further ado, I will introduce you guys to Jennifer Holman, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Welcome to the BASAC View. We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, and this is an educational podcast about all the topics you hate talking to your kids about. Sex, puberty, body safety, growing up, and most importantly, the power in no, because consent is mandatory. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jennifer Holloman to our podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, no, we're very grateful and glad that it that it worked out for you to join us. Absolutely. So we've given our listeners, I did a little intro, but I didn't give them too much information. So do you want to just maybe start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm from the Annapolis Valley in Nova Scotia. Um, born and raised here. Spent my most of my life here until 2003 when I packed up my kids and moved to Yarmouth, basically followed my heart. And um, so that was where, well, Madison would have been 10 when we moved and her little sister was five. So that's where they spent the majority of their years, I guess, well, Tori for sure. And um, yeah, so we lived there for 17 years. And just after everything that kind of, you know, what took place in my life, I ended up moving back home. So now I'm actually back in the Annapolis Valley and I've been here for almost two years. Um, I'm, I work as a dental assistant and prior to that, I basically worked in the hospitality and food service industry for many, many years. Um, I was an amateur boxer for 13 years and then I started coaching and uh, I opened my own boxing club in Yarmouth in 2007. And actually, Madison was my star athlete. I trained a lot of fabulous kids and a lot of kids that did really, really well. But she was my uh, she was my number one champion. So it's just sort of a little bit about me, I guess. Yeah, and that's actually how I learned about Madison was a friend of mine, Dylan who has a boxing gym here in town shared your video with me because he knew you and Madison and that sort of the boxing connection is what brought brought us together. So you we're going to talk about your daughter Madison's story today. But before we get into all of that, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about Madison and what she was like as a kid and and the boxing and and all that stuff 
Madison was, uh, she was definitely a handful, that's for sure. Um, when she was little, I'm going to say maybe, oh, I don't know, seven or eight, I had, remember I had made a doctor's appointment for her because she was just all over the map all the time. Like, she was just here and there and everywhere, and the doctor asked me if I, um, had considered having her tested for ADD or ADHD, and I was like, absolutely not. There's no way I'm having that done. Like, I didn't want to, you know, even admit that my kid possibly could have, you know, that kind of a problem, but I wasn't going to put her on medication for the rest of her life. I just, you know, took it as being hyperactivity and just that I had to keep her busy and more involved in things. And she did. She just had endless amounts of energy. She was on the go all the time. So um, I was boxing at the boxing club. I started when I was probably 28. So um, it was shortly after uh, Madison's little sister was born. And Madison used to come to the boxing club with me. So she would have been five turning six. And that's when I realized that, you know, she did have excess amounts of energy and that was a great place for her to get rid of some of it. And my coach really enjoyed having her there. She really enjoyed being there. So I tried to tap into a little bit of that for her too. But I mean, she was a pretty good kid. She, I had average issues with her, you know, the little, little fibs and not telling the truth every now and again. And you know, just, I don't know, just being a kid, I think she was pretty normal. We were from a middle-class family. We had a nice home. You know, the kids did good in school. She was in French immersion. She played sports. She was on the rugby team. She was in band. I mean, everything about Madison's life growing up was pretty darn normal. Like, she wasn't I guess when I tell that part of the story, it just leads me to believe there really is no stereotypical um, picture of, you know, the individual that gets caught up in this game, if, you know, if you want to call it the game, because that's what we all call it. But, um, you know, she was, she was a pretty normal kid. It wasn't until probably 14 or 15 that she started getting a little more defiant but even then she wasn't that bad I didn't think um you know when I see how some of my friends kids are now that are at that age 14 15 16 you know Madison really was pretty mild and mellow really but um you know I kept her busy and we did a lot of things together as a family and she was very family oriented and so I would say, you know, for the most part, Madison was just a normal kid. Like she really, like I say, there's nothing that stands out even when I look back now that, you know, I should have seen or I should have noticed or I should have realized, you know, that I should have been keeping more of an eye on her. But um, she was a little headstrong. But I mean, I tell everybody she just inherited all my worst traits. But at the end of the day, she used them to the best of her ability. So kind of worked out for the both of us, right? Yeah, and I hear that I have a uh, three daughters and one son. So headstrong daughters is something that's very familiar to me. You said something that was that I think is really important that Madison came from a regular normal working middle class family and didn't fit the stereotype and that's something that I really want the listeners to understand as they listen to your story is we often think that things only happen to certain people or certain families or certain groups, but what your family experienced really could happen to anybody. Absolutely. I mean, I do believe there are things that made her more vulnerable, so to speak, like with respect to moving on down the line further as this, you know, became an issue. Her father um, and I were married when we were young and we were only married for two years he was an alcoholic and I was a very strong independent woman and I'd had enough and I wasn't going to put up with it anymore and so I took Madison and basically the clothes on my back and her belongings and I left and he didn't have a relationship with her for a while until she was more like a toddler so when I left she was just an infant still. Um, 
But as she became like, you know, two, three, four years old, her dad spent a fair bit of time with her. He tried to. Um, and then he disappeared again for a while. He was back into his drinking mode. And then as she was like young, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, when I first moved to Yarmouth, her father played a huge role in her life. And he spent a lot of time with her, not only with her, but with her little sister and my stepdaughter as well. Like she went with, they all, all three of the girls went with uh, Madison's dad for weekends away and they had a great relationship they always had fun like you know everything was pretty normal but then when he fell off the wagon again um you know I attribute a lot of Madison's issues to the fact that she just didn't have that strong father figure in her life and um you know and nobody to, to even fill those shoes I mean, my partner at the time, we were together for 17 years, but now I look back and see the things that Madison didn't like about him and the way he treated me, and I understand that. She didn't have a lot of respect for him, um, and I can appreciate that because I was her mom, and she thought her mom deserved to be treated like treated like a queen, and I just wasn't being, and she didn't like that. Um, you know, so she didn't have a lot of respect for him, um, she didn't have a lot of respect for her father. I mean, she loved him unconditionally, but given, the, you know, everything that he put her through with his drinking, um, you know, she didn't have a lot of respect for that, but um, she always put her feelings of anger and torment aside whenever she thought that, you know, she'd be able to have either a decent conversation with her dad or a visit with her dad or whatever. But I do believe that, as, you know, when all was said and done, that was one of the biggest things with Madison was the struggle for, uh, you know, affection and attention from that male figure in her life, which ideally for her would have been her dad, but sadly just wasn't her father. So that was a problem for her, I think. And I see that now. I don't think I really recognize that like years ago, but, um, you know, sometimes you just have to really stand back and take a look at the big picture. And we don't always do that when we're living in it every day, right? Well, exactly. And when you're in the thick of it, it's it's hard to see that. But we also know that, you know, kids who have parents with struggle with the, that struggle with addiction, there's often times where they have all sorts of big feelings about it. But at the end of the day, they still love their parent. And so they'll put those things aside to try and have they're desperate for that relationship. And they hope that things will get better. And then when they're continually let down, like that definitely has an impact. So you said that when Madison was about 14, things sort of started to shift. So what would you say we're looking back now? What would you say were the things that that sort of led to the shift or caused the shift? What were you noticing? Well, I didn't really notice a whole lot of things at the time, which is really sad. Um, But I think the biggest thing was that just being defiant, like staying out later, you know, not coming home, staying out with her friends overnight. Um, just, you know, probably getting into the booze, getting into the weed. And I won't, I won't, I won't lie, I was pretty liberal when it came to things. Like, I would rather my kids be home, you know, having drinks under my roof, not necessarily at 14 and 15, but I would rather them try to sneak it and at least be home than to be out somewhere um, and, you know, get caught or get in a vehicle, get in a car accident. Um, and I just, I don't know, I... I tried to be as open-minded as I could as she was growing up and spending time with her friends and stuff. But, you know, sometimes just being close with your mom like that isn't cool. So it was a struggle for me. Then she started hanging out with um, her best friend who I adored had an older sister and the older sister had a child and Madison had a relationship with the little fella. She loved this little kid and she babysat um, for her best friend's sister on the odd occasion. And then it just kind of wound up being, um, you know, she's babysitting a little bit more. She was starting to stay overnight at her house. And then I realized that that was becoming like a spot for her to kind of hang out and 
smoke weed and drink and stay up late and skip school and hang out with people she wasn't supposed to hang out with. And so it just became a little bit of a power struggle as in like, you know, how do you drag her home kicking and screaming or how do you keep her away from these people that are enabling her to, you know, not live the life she should be living, meaning just normal, healthy, going to school and getting her education and so on and so forth. But um, I think that was probably where things started to get a little bit, um, you know, get a little bit messy. And then she got involved with this young boy who he just wasn't the epitome of the perfect boyfriend in my eyes. And not that I wanted her to have a perfect boyfriend, but there was just nothing about this kid that was good and I didn't have good vibes. But I'm always willing to give people a second chance or to give them a chance anyways. And I knew I'd heard he'd had a bad rap, but I'm like, nah, okay, I'll, you know, see how it goes. But that was the first mistake and the biggest mistake that I ever made. And I realize that now, but I just didn't at the time. And so her involvement with him was probably, there was a lot of things took place then that I didn't know, that I didn't uncover, that I didn't see, that I've, you know, since realized a lot of things after Madison's passing. Um, and it's really sad, but there, there was, there's just no way I ever would have known any of that stuff at the time. So I don't think I would have been able to do anything about it. And I was a pretty hardcore mom. Like I, I was a good mom, but I was a bitch when I had to be. And, you know, Madison and I always went toe-to-toe. Like, she would never just let me be mom and give her rules, and she would never just simply listen. Like, it was always the power struggle between the two of us. And there were days when I just had to put her in her place, and it was, you know, maybe a couple of times, but it was never good. And... And it was just, it was always bad. Like whenever there was, you know, an issue between us and I was going to stay hard on what my thoughts and my opinions were, if she didn't agree with me, then, you know, she didn't give a fuck. That's basically what her attitude was. So we did struggle with each other, um, you know, with respect to that. So it was hard for me to try to keep her on the straight and narrow because she was always fighting me unless she agreed with me, which just wasn't very often, right? Well, and I, and I think too, the more you tell a teen not to do something, the more they want to do it, which is the trick as a parent, because there's no handbook on how to handle situations We're we're learning and growing with our kids as much as they are. And for you to tell her, I don't want you with that hanging out with that boy, I don't want you hanging out at this house. For her, it was probably like, mom doesn't like it, so I just want to do it even more, right? And we can't, you can't watch them 24 hours a day, right? All you can do is is your best and and try to be there and catch them when they fall a little bit, right? So, and it sounds like Madison was pretty, like you said, headstrong. And when she made a decision to do something, it probably wouldn't have really mattered what you said. She was, she was going to give it a twirl oh she was gonna do what she wanted when she wanted there was like absolutely no question about that which was really sad but I mean we went back and forth for quite some time and then finally just got to to the point where I did tell her I said you know she was gonna leave she was gonna go to her best friend for the night um, I ain't coming back and you know it was all kind of tough and I said then you best be taking what you're taking because when you walk out that door you're not coming back like you're you're not like I'm not doing this anymore because it was a fight for everything it was a fight with my partner it was a fight with the other kids in the house it was a fight with her it was just one thing after another all the time and I was just getting tired of it and so I I just told her I said if you walk out that door you are not coming back that's just as plain and simple as it gets and I don't think she believed me but I meant what I said and she never moved back but I was also um, not cool about her leaving either and so I just said you know if you're leaving you can take a bag and you can shove as many clothes as you can fit in that bag and you can leave everything else behind. I said, because everything that's, that I have here that's considered a luxury to you can stay here. You're not taking it with you. That's just how I was, right? So it was like, 
the hair dryers and the flat irons and the, you know, all of the electronic gadgets and everything that was bought for her that was under that roof. I'm like, yeah, no, you're not taking. That's a privilege for you to have that stuff. At 15 years old, you're not. So if you're leaving and you think you're able to take care of yourself and, you know, and you can get out there, then you can go buy your own shit. And I said, so you're not, no, like, if that's just the way that it is. I wasn't supporting her leaving in any way, shape, or form. So that's how it was. And she left. She packed basically like a hockey bag with all of her clothes in it, and she left. And that was the last time she ever lived at home. And that was the hard thing for me to do, but that was just the way that it was going to be. Like, I just, I couldn't deal with the pressures from from everything else that I was getting. Like, it was just too stressful for me. Like, that's one thing that I've realized now just from, you know, I've, I've been writing ever since, well, for four years before Madison died and for all of these years that she's not been here, I've been writing and that's, one of the things that I find it's the hardest thing for me to do is when I start writing about, you know, things that that I that I did and things that she did and how I handled things. You know, you second guess everything and it's emotional and then you wonder, okay, well why didn't I see this earlier? Why didn't I see that back then? You know, like it's it's really it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow when you push a rewind on everything that took place. But, you know, honestly at the end of the day I felt like the decisions at the time that I made were the right decisions you know I felt like I was doing everything right but now when I look back on it I'm not so sure that you know I did it's it's catch 22 for me on the best of days yeah I can't imagine the the back and forth that you go through between what you were feeling at the time and what you know now yeah. So at 15, yeah. then Madison moved out. And where did things sort of go from there? Like, were you still in communication with her? Did the re- relationship get get better, get worse? And what was she oh, up we, to? We talked, we talked, and we, you know, we did, we kept in touch, and we tried to maintain things to the best of, you know, well, I tried to, to the best of my ability. Um, she was kind of all over the map. She was basically just couch surfing is what she was doing, staying, you know, from one place to another. And when she ended up being with this, the boyfriend that, you know, I tried to kind of embrace that whole situation and realize that it just wasn't going to work for me. I think she crashed with him quite a bit. Like she just sort of, she just floated around everywhere. And then things just kind of got worse and I did call her father and I asked her father to come and pick her up and uh, I said I don't care what you do with her you can pick her up you take her with you I didn't know if he was living at his old homestead in Spring Hill or if he was in Halifax but I just said I don't care come get her you can take her home you can put her in private school you can put her in juvie like I don't care what you do with her but you need to put her somewhere because right now her lifestyle she's spiraling out of control I don't know where she's going to be if you don't come and pick her up like I just really felt that the things that she was doing were everything was asked backwards for her I don't think it's I don't know it's not like I had a crystal ball or anything like that but I did feel like something was going to happen I just had no idea what it was but I wanted him to come and get her and he his reply was Jennifer I'm too busy with work and I don't think I'll ever forget that as long as I live. And to think that her own father, you know, couldn't put his job on the back burner, you know, to come and, and, and pull his child out of this mess. And so I'm just like, yep, okay, that's great. Thank you so much. And I ended up um, calling my brother who lived in the valley basically told him what was going on and I said I just want her out of here like I just want someone to come and get her out of here so my brother ended up coming to Yarmouth and we kind of set Madison up and then he ended up bringing her back here and she hated me wasn't going to speak to me again um and I just you know Chris basically told her like you're out of control and you're coming to the valley we're getting you out of this shithole and away from the troubled people you're hanging out with and we're just going to see you know what's going to happen 
And I really thought that she would have, you know, embraced that moment because she always hated the fact that I made her move to Yarmouth anyway. And she always threw that in my face whenever we had, you know, disagreements about how I hated it. I never wanted to come here anyway. And you forced me to move here and I just want to live in the valley. So I really would have thought she would have taken that opportunity and been like, you know, maybe staying here wouldn't be so bad. And I could go to school here and make new friends and whatever. But pretty much as soon as we got her up here, she was back in the arms again. And I don't even remember how she got back. But I was just mortified that she came back. And then things just spiraled out of control after that. It just kept getting worse. And I thought for a little bit maybe she might get her shit together, for lack of a better way of putting it. And then she wound up in a relationship with this guy who I actually really liked. And he was he was a nice kid. And then they came to see me one day at work, and that's when she told me she was pregnant. And I was, I, I mean, I didn't know what to say. I wasn't prepared for that. I mean, she was only 17, turning 18 when she had Callie. And, you know, I just, was she ready to be a mom? No. But at the same time, I knew Madison had, you know, responsibility um potential within her and i knew she loved children and there and she was always a great great help with her little sister and she was amazing with tori so i just figured that she would be a great mom and maybe this was going to be a good thing and so for the first little bit it actually wasn't too bad at all and then she got into her head that she was going to take off and move out west and then that's when things just went completely out of control so she she comes to you at 17 she's in a new relationship and you're thinking this guy's not too bad he seems like a nice kid and then she tells you she's pregnant and when she comes to you and says she wants to move out west has she had the baby So she did have the baby. So what happened was her and my stepdaughter were actually living together in an apartment right in town in Yarmouth. And her boyfriend was living with his dad, um, not too far from where Madison was living. They actually, um, I think Madison actually might have stayed with Jordan at first at his place before they, before her and Aaron got an apartment. I can't remember. There's a lot of things that are a blur, but I think she did stay with Jordan for a time first. Um, and then, um, they were together. And then when they told me that they were pregnant, um, Jordan made the comment of, uh, I think it was something to the effect of, um, I'm going to be here with her through this to raise this baby no matter what. And I was like, okay, that sounds weird. And then it was brought to my attention that there was a, a possibility the baby wasn't Jordan's. And I was really worked up about that. I was like, honest to God, like how much more twisted can this story become? So what happened was apparently they had been in a relationship for quite some time and they were really good together. And he was a really nice kid, but... I mean, I guess he cheated on her, and Madison was vindictive like that, basically decided, yeah, well, you know what, if you cheat on me, I'm going to cheat on you. So she went to a party and hooked up with a guy she knew, and then that's how she got pregnant. So before they realized that Jordan actually wasn't a dad, he had said, I'm stepping up, I'm going to take care of this baby like it's mine, it doesn't matter. Um and he was awesome through the whole pregnancy. I'm pretty sure he went to the Lamaze classes with Madison. He was at, uh, in labor and delivery with Madison. He cut Callie's umbilical cord, and he fathered her for the first six months of her life. And then I think what happened is everybody in Yarmouth started talking, like, around their circle about how he wasn't the father, and this was that, and this was this, and what happened and so finally um i think he just got tired of listening to what everybody was saying and he had a dna test done and it came back that he was not the father of Callie bay and then as soon as he found that out he just backed up on his word and he was like yep the hell with this i'm out like i'm not doing this anymore it ain't my kid and i don't have to look after it so he just literally disappeared so 
that's when I went to Madison and I just said, who's the father of this child? How many people have you slept with? And she said, only one other person. And I was ready to beat it out of her because at this point I'm like, okay, you just, you can't do this. Like, we need to know who this child's father is. And like, you need to tell me who you've been with. So it was only one other person she was with and it was the guy she was with at the party. And that was who the dad ended up being. Um, Madison had little to no regard for finding out if in fact he was Cal's dad or not like she just didn't care she was like yeah well I'm taking off I'm going out west so Callie was born on the 25th of July in 2011 Madison stayed home until Callie's first birthday which was 2012 and then I think it was around right after her birthday or right before I can't remember she told me she was going to go out west and I was really upset about that. This is my first grandchild. She was beautiful. I knew Madison was a little wishy-washy. I didn't want her to leave, but she basically led me to believe she wanted to go out there because I want to start a new life. I can work better. Money's better. Um, you know, I've got a good opportunity. And I said, okay, well, so what's your plan? Who are you going with? And then she told me that she was going to go with her best friend's older sister which is the girl she had been babysitting with which is the girl that was enabling her to live a life of just frivolous um you know zero responsibility type of thing and I didn't like that and I was like there's no way like you're like how are you even doing this like why would you go out there with her after everything we've already been through you know like and you know my feelings about her and she's like it doesn't matter I'm doing it I'm going it's a good opportunity so so the older sister was flying out west and she had a new baby that was just a little bit younger than Callie. And then Madison was driving out with the girl's boyfriend and the son that Madison used to babysit all the time, who was now like five or six years old. So it was the boyfriend, um, the older son, Madison and Callie in a U-Haul van with all the belongings and they were driving out and then they were meeting the other two out there because they were flying. So I guess they drove. I don't remember how long it took them to get there. I wasn't happy about it, but I talked to Madison like every day. We FaceTimed all the time and I think... I just kept expressing to her how upset I was that she was out there and she ended up saying to me one day, if you're not happy about it and you don't believe that I'm doing okay, why don't you just come and see me, she said. Come and see me, come and see the house, come and see Callie, come see the kids are fine. Maybe that will put your mind at ease. And I'm like, you know what? All right, I'll do that. So it was um, October of... 2012 that I flew out there and I stayed for 10 days and I was actually relatively content with how things were I mean the girl that she was living with her she had a job um, her boyfriend had a good job I'd say he had the best job ever and he was a nice guy I actually really liked him I don't know how she wound up with him but he's a nice guy and he had a really good job, and he was basically making sure everybody was taken care of. I didn't like the setup in so much, though, because Madison was the one that was staying home and looking after the kids. And the little boy was just starting school, um, but Madison was home looking after Callie and the other little fella. And I just didn't like that. I thought, okay, you're here. How is this helping you in your life at all? You could be working as a nanny in Yarmouth and be closer to me. So you need to find a job. So we ended up going out. We went out to the mall. She did up a bunch of resumes. And, I mean, within hours, she actually had landed a job. It was just in retail, but nonetheless, it was a job. And the visit went, you know, relatively well. And I was happy and content that things were okay. And so I left happy and came home. And then after I got home, that's when things really went sideways. And I had no idea. I'm sure things must have been randomly taking place under my nose. Or they must have been at least trying to get established when I was there. I can't imagine that I left in October and then in two months it all came together 
to into fruition that she was a full blown escort, but I, I I I don't know. I there's so many things about this, and I explain it to everybody. Like it's like sitting down to do its massive puzzle, and you're missing half the pieces. So can you tell what it is? Well, you might be able to tell what some of it is, but you can't. You don't have all the fine details. And sometimes those details are the things that tie things all into the big picture. So it's really hard. And I don't think I'll ever know all the truth. That's got to be challenging too. So it's so. would you say that knowing what you know now, when Madison moved out west with this friend and the friend's boyfriend, do you think the, in, the intent was for them to get established? She was the, the live-in babysitter and that everything else that happened, that was in the works when they moved to Alberta? I, you know what? I Honestly, I can't answer that question. The boyfriend is really one of the only people that I have yet to speak to because I've put it off and it's been almost seven years because I just haven't wanted to have that conversation with him. I don't think I was ready to hear a lot of things. and Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he doesn't have a lot to tell me, but... I recently reached out to him because there are questions I have for him and I feel like I'm ready to ask. But I don't know that it was planned. I don't know if it just happened when they were there. But I do remember the only thing that really stuck out to me as being, you know, red flag moment was I was in the kitchen and I think I was getting supper ready and um, the roommate, she was sitting at the table going through Kijiji And I'm pretty sure she had a fairly decent job at the time, but she wasn't happy with the job or maybe the people that she worked with and she wanted to find something different. So she was going through ads on Kijiji and this one random afternoon, she just blurted out, maybe I should put an ad on Kijiji to suck a dick for a dollar. There's a lot of that on here. And she goes, and by the hits on the site, she said, I'm sure he could make more money um, than I would having a day job from nine to five at, you know, 18 bucks an hour or whatever she was making. And I remember I was blown away. I looked at her and said, what did you just say? And that really blew my mind. Like, why would you even say something like that? You know, so that looking back now, like at the time, I thought I might have thought maybe it was funny. But now, given the circumstances and knowing what I know Madison went through, I'm wondering if maybe was that a plan of hers to begin with? Was that the first time she saw it on the Internet and thought, man, maybe I should look into this? Um, I don't know. I Honestly, I don't know. But I hope when I talk to the boyfriend, maybe I'll have a better understanding of how things transpired because I feel like he's going to answer a lot of questions for me. Um, but I don't think it was a plan for her to go out there. But and then again, I don't know. Like I, The guy that Madison dated that I invited into our home to basically give him a second chance, so to speak, he was a troubled kid. He was a bad kid. And I found out after um, a time that his father was actually a pimp in Calgary and had been for a long time. So now I know for sure that this kid that she was dating, he's involved in the lifestyle. And I know that for a fact now. And so was he the one that put the initial planted the initial seed in her brain about, you know, escorting or doing this because you could make all kinds of money and it would be a great party lifestyle and she'd enjoy it she could have whatever she wanted like I don't know that either but I do know um, that he is involved and I do believe that you know that's how she initially got the whole idea of possibly you know becoming an escort and maybe it started out small and it just got into something that she just got in over her head and couldn't get out of but there's a lot of speculation through a lot of this on my part there are many things I know for fact and there are a lot of things that I just put things together and think it can't be any other way but this way Um, but honestly I don't think I'll ever know the truth so you go there in October and things are okay, like you're feeling like your daughter's safe, your granddaughter's safe, you go home and then you say two months later, things go completely sideways. So 
Two months later, where's Madison at? How do you find out what's going on? Where's your granddaughter in the situation? Take us through that. So she, um, she was, uh, she just, she came home, I'm trying to think. So October, I was out there, October of 2012, November, December, January. She came home in the summer of 2013, um, I don't remember the first time I got pictures, but somebody, it was a girl that Madison went to school with, sent me a message on Facebook, I'm sure, Facebook or email, and sent me these pictures from Backpage.com. And I knew it was Madison as soon as I saw them. It took me a couple minutes to really figure out what they were, but they were the her ads on Backpage advertising herself for sexual services. And I was mortified. And it wasn't showing her face, but I saw some of her profile and her figure and her hair. I mean, I carried her for nine months. I raised the kid. You know what I mean? Like, I knew it was my child. Like, she had tattoos. Like, I knew it was her. And, um, and I was just, I called her out on it and that was my first mistake. Cause when I called her out on it, then she shut me down. She wouldn't talk to me. Um, I don't remember a lot of that. She, she denied, denied, denied. Um, and then it just kept getting worse. She came home in the summer of 2013, but, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a home, I don't believe. Andrew's mom was really sick, and she lived in Florida. She had a brain tumor, and, and I think it was in May of 2013, Andrew had gone to visit his mom, and then not knowing if she was going to be alive or not, she ended up, like, living through the summer, and so he and I went to see her in August. And I think that's when Madison had come home. And I think she came home with a girl from out west. And I don't believe that girl had any family here. Someone told me, she's Madison, I think, might have told me she had family here. But I don't think she had any family here. I think she came home with Madison because Madison wanted to come home. But I think she came home more or less as like a protector, a babysitter or whatever. You want to go home and show your face to let your family know you're okay or do whatever. That's perfectly fine. But, um... Yeah, like I, like you can't go alone. So this girl came with her. I never met her because I wasn't at home. But I also told Madison that she couldn't stay at our house because Andrew didn't want her to stay there because um, he just didn't trust her. And anyways, I she ended up leaving. I didn't see her that particular trip. She was home. Um, she ended up taking off um, again and then I think that would have been so that was like late August it was a real struggle because Andrew's mom passed away in September and then it was in the first part of January of 2014 when I got the picture of Madison like Madison's face and I actually I didn't even know it was Madison when I first opened the picture the picture of the girl was so badly beaten that you could hardly tell it was a female and her eyes were black and blue they were swollen shut her face was very badly swollen um her lips were still crusted with dried blood like it was awful and then it dawned on me as I looked harder at the picture that it was Madison and I thought, why would someone send me this? And then her friend that had sent it to me said, like, she's in over her head and you need to, like, do something. And so at that point, I reached out to Madison even more and was like, what's going on? Like, what are you involved in? And so that she told me that she had been jumped by couple of guys at a new year's eve party she said i put my hair up under a ball hat and i was at this party and they thought i was some guy and they kicked the shit out of me and i'm like i don't buy that for a minute madison like you had your hair up under a hat heavy coat on yeah they might have thought you were a guy but the minute they started kicking the shit out of you i said and your hat flew off don't you suppose they would have realized that you weren't the guy they were looking for so nothing that she told me made any sense 
Um, and then I was told that um, she, that this guy that she was with, um, he was actually, I did research who he was because I found pictures. I, I went into like super cop mode, um, vigilante mom, whatever. And I went through um, Facebook. I went through the news. I went through every archive thing I could find and found this kid. And he was like a young offender. He was now like a, an adult offender. Like he just wasn't a good person. He was affiliated with North Preston's finest in Halifax, but he was in Edmonton and he kicked the shit out of her and he broke her jaw and he kept her away from medical attention for at least 24 hours. And the one girl, from my understanding, that had contact with Madison basically knew this dude and said, if you don't let her, let her go, let me come get her, take her to the hospital, I'm calling the cops. And so he knew, apparently, he'd be in a lot of shit if the cops were called. So he was basically like, ah, fuck, come get her, take her out of my hair. So they took her to the hospital, and the doctor told her that if she would have taken one more blow to the face, she would have been six feet under. She wouldn't have been sitting there having her face fixed because he broke her jaw, severely broke her jaw um, on the right side of her face. And I... I, and I amongst whatever else he did to her like I don't know how the child survived what she lived through like and that's the first beating that I know of and that doesn't mean that that was the first beating that's just the first one that I knew of and I mean I was mortified and even shoving all that shit in Madison's face like she just wouldn't acknowledge it she wouldn't you know there was just seemed like there was nothing I could do to make her you know see what was happening and I just I couldn't reach her like I just it didn't matter like I had to basically accept everything she was doing in order to keep in touch with her because at that time she still well actually before that beating um she didn't have Callie I flew out west in May of 2013 before that beating because I didn't know the severity of what she was involved in so I guess I should push rewind for just a second I didn't know how serious things were, but I kept calling and kept FaceTiming with respect to making sure Callie was okay. And then I really wasn't happy with seeing Callie in the pictures and stuff. She just didn't look like her happy, normal, healthy self. So one day I just made a comment to her and I said, Madison, like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And she's like, no, I'm not okay. And you need to come and get Callie because if you don't come and get her, someone else is going to take her. So in May, it was Mother's Day weekend of 2013, I flew out west and I brought Callie home. And I had sole custody of her um, when I first brought her home and then shared custody with her dad after we got everything all situated. But so the first time Madison did take a severe beating, Callie was not out there with her because I had flown out and brought her home. But I did, when I flew out and brought her home, I did come face-to-face with these guys that Madison was involved in, but at the time had no idea exactly what she was involved in and didn't know at what place these two particular individuals fell within the realm of everything that was going on until after I started piecing it together. And knowing that I had actually sat in the hotel room with those two pieces of shit in front of my face, knowing what I know now, I don't even know how I would respond. If I could go back and have that moment all over again, it would be completely different, that's for sure. Because they were, in fact, the people that were making her live this lifestyle and putting her through this. And at that time, I had no idea. So, and at least not the severity of what was going on. So I brought her home May of 2013. Madison did come back, like I said, late that summer. I didn't even want her seeing Callie Mae because I just didn't think it was a good idea. But anyways, nonetheless, you know, it is what it is and it happened the way it happened. But then I got word of that first beating um that new year's eve of 2013 so going into 2014 and then it was just it was just a shit show every day was a shit show i'd go to bed at night wondering if she was alive i'd wake up in the morning wondering if she was alive like there were christmas 2014 i didn't hear from her for like three weeks like 
you know, there were just random times and she would just disappear. Like she came home, um, the summer of 2014 or the spring of 2014. And I really thought she was getting her shit together. I thought she was pulling herself away from the lifestyle and, um, she, uh, came back home she was actually living here in the valley with um her sister's father and his family like his his partner and their kids because she had a great um she had a great relationship with Tori's dad she we were together for a long time and she called him dad she loved him like and he cared for her immensely they had a great relationship and so he offered for her to stay there with him, and I thought that would be a good idea because he would really work to try to keep her on the straight and narrow. And um, anyway, he ended up getting her a great job. She went and got her GED. She graduated. Um, she, you know, she was um, really making an effort to to try to have a relationship, a healthier relationship with Callie, like. I really thought that she was getting things together to, until the end of the summer started rolling around and then I could see her. It was almost like she was getting restless again. And then I realized that there were some things going on that she she was hooking up with people in Halifax. And I don't know who those people were, but whoever the connections were, I do believe they were all intertwined with each other because it got her right back into the game again. And she put herself back on back page and then just as quick as she came home and started getting all her ducks in a row she fucked off and she was gone and it was just an incredible shit show like from that moment on like it was just one thing after another after another and um she basically worked her way across the country like she she was in she was in Moncton. She was in various cities in, in Ontario, like Brampton, Mississauga, Toronto, London. Like, she spent a lot of time in a lot of different places. I'm sure places probably I'm not even aware of until she worked herself back out west. And I did have one guy reach out to me the day after she died. Um, and he found me on Facebook and he messaged me and basically told me a little bit about her and how he met her and that they did spend some time together in Ontario. So he filled in a lot of the gaps for me. Um, he was more or less a good friend and knew the, you know, knew what she was involved in, but didn't try too much, but always tried to steer her in a different direction. But he said, I could never get her out. Like, and he said, I, I don't know who all she was involved in. He did tell me some things. Like, she was involved with a lot of not nice people, like, with respect to running drugs, running guns, prostitution, human trafficking, whatever. Like, it was everything. She just, like, I told, I tell people, you know, she made a lot of shitty choices to get herself, you know, in the position that she did. But then there became a point where she just wasn't given a choice and didn't have the opportunity to make choices for herself and I think that's when um, you know that's when a lot of the, the dangerous things came into play because she was a rebel and she didn't want to have anyone tell her what to do or what she could and couldn't do or what she was going to do and what she wasn't going to do and when she tried to stand up for herself that's when she got herself in a lot of trouble but she was involved with some really not nice people for a long time <laughs> 